all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Good morning, and thanks for joining me today here on Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner and associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that comes up a lot for me in clinic and uh, through social media. I get lots of questions about this, but we're going to be talking about intermittent fasting today. And I'm going to have a special guest that's going to be joining me, Dr. Elena Dent. Um, She has been on the show before and is a wonderful resource. She is a registered dietitian and as an assistant professor in the same department as me in preventive medicine. So we get uh, the pleasure of working with each other in clinic and helping patients with their nutrition and other lifestyle-related factors. So if you have a question or a comment for us today about intermittent fasting, if if you're doing it and you love it or you're struggling, I'd love to hear about that. Or if you're just curious and have questions, um, now is fine as well um, to give us a call. That number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. You can always email us, fit at mpbonline.org as well. Good morning, Elena. Good morning, Josie. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on to help with this topic. You know, this uh, this past January marked five years that I've been doing the show, and I have gotten questions probably every year since it started about intermittent fasting. And my response has usually been, we just don't know yet when people kind of ask me if it, yeah. if it works or, you know, the strategy behind it. And, you know, I just kind of say we, we we don't have enough information one way or another to, to be able to, to say um, but it's it's been a couple years now, and so the the evidence has evolved and and grown and changed, and so I felt like now was a good time to be able to um, to address it, as well as the fact that it's just so dang popular, and you know we see it so much in clinic, and we have a lot of folks um, who are curious about it. So tell me a little bit, just if people are not familiar with the term intermittent fasting, what that means. Sure. So intermittent fasting really encompasses um, several different eating patterns all centered around this idea of fasting, okay? So I think we all are probably aware fasting implies some kind of period of time where we're not eating anything. So intermittent fasting can have several look several different, you know, uh, ways. So it could be that you do alternate day fasting where, you know, depending on what day of the week it is, you choose to 
say maybe on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you choose to not, um, you know, eat anything or it's a very restricted. So usually like 25% or less of normal calories. So maybe 500 calories. And then you eat, you know, normally the other days of the week. Um, it could also look like, you know, two days of the week you fast. And again, that could be you don't eat anything at all or maybe up to four or 500 calories. And then the other days total, eat totally normal. Um, and some people add an additional layer to that with time-restricted feeding. So they may choose um, to only eat within certain hours during the day. So they could say, all right, I'm only going to eat between the hours of 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. or from, you know, 12 p.m. to 10 p.m. It, you know, takes on a variety of, of uh, different patterns, but the, the whole goal is that in some form or fashion, you are restricting the amount of calories that you are consuming. And that really gets to the heart of it, right, is, is yes. calorie restriction. So we talk a lot on the show about the fact that, you know, at the heart of weight loss, you've got to kind of run a calorie restriction, you know, take in less calories than, than you're burning. But yes. the quality of the calorie matters as well, or at least that's what, that what we talk about, because we want not just weight loss, but improved health overall. And so that's kind of one of the, the thoughts behind intermittent fasting is it's a way to limit calories, correct? Correct. Absolutely. Without having to quote unquote count calories, right? Because that can be what makes diets hard to follow for some folks. Yes. And, you know, you mentioned the evidence earlier kind of evolving around this. You know, oftentimes when we think of the word diet, we only think of, you know, restricting our calories. And so that is the appeal of intermittent fasting for some people because it may be that they choose to, okay, well, there are two days out of the week that I'm going to really restrict what I'm having as much of anything. And then five days I'm just going to, you know, eat like I normally do. And that is that is very appealing. Um but also understand that a calorie restriction could also be a component of, you know, any variety of intermittent fasting that you do on the days that you do consume calories. So I think there's a lot of uh, confusion sometimes among patients of, you know, what really what is intermittent fasting um, versus just a generally low calorie diet. And there really can be overlap. But like you mentioned earlier, the heart of it is that you are at the end of the day, restricting the total amount of calories that you're consuming over some a, a period of time. Yep. And actually, we have a success story with intermittent fasting right here in the MPB studio. Um, so our producer today, Liz, um, Liz, do you want to share a little bit about your journey with intermittent fasting? Sure, Josie. Um, It's uh, serendipity that uh, Kevin Farrell is visiting his mother for Mother's Day, and he asked me to help produce our show today on intermittent fasting. And that's something I know a little bit about. Before the pandemic, I lost 70 pounds doing that, but it was over 70 weeks. And for me, I did follow a, a, a program it was called Naturally Slim. Now it's called Wonder mm-hmm. without the yep. A. But it talked to you. It, it, it fed you 
information in in baby steps, but the most important thing they said was don't eat if you aren't hungry. And then when you do eat, take little bites and over a long period with a, a break in the middle so that it gives your brain time to process that your stomach is full because they taught us that the stomach is about the size of a loosely held fist. And so it really doesn't take a lot of food to make you feel full. And they also mentioned that you can't out walk your mouth. You can't outrun your <laughs> mouth or some little cute thing saying, you know, yes, exercise is very good. It's part of a good, healthy uh, lifestyle. But to to lose weight, you would have to exercise tremendously to decrease your actual weight. And that worked for me and my husband. But as any weight loss endeavor, it has to become a way of life and it doesn't work for everybody. Absolutely. And, you know, you hit several nails on the head with that. You know, first was how long it took you to lose the weight, right? So you said 70 pounds, 70 weeks, and that is completely appropriate. So when we're working with folks, we say between one to two pounds a week is what we're trying to get folks folks to, to lose because that is slow and steady and it's much more sustainable. The other piece that I love to hear you say right there is about the exercise. Um, and the way I usually say it is you can't, out exercise a bad diet or an unhealthy diet. Um, exercise is meant to, to augment uh, a healthy living program um, because it has other benefits other than just weight loss. It's good for your blood vessels and for your mental health and your breathing and your heart health and all these other kinds of things. But if you consume a large chunk of calories, it is just about impossible to burn through all of those and, you know, a deficit on top of that to, to kind of out-exercise the diet there. Um, you mentioned the program Naturally Slim, and now it's called Wonder. I have not been through those programs. I'm familiar with them because they are, I believe they are a benefit of state employee insurance. Um, I have a couple of patients that have gone through these as well. So if you're a state employee, um, you might check, you know, check that out there and see, um, see what's going on. See if that is a covered benefit for you. Elena, you have anything you want to kind of add to that? Um, no, I would I agree with what you're saying. And I, I do think it is a state covered. I, I can think of a shared patient we have right now that's currently yeah. going through it. So. Yep. Um, and it's wonderful. You know, the, the strategies that you just mentioned, you know, if you're not hungry, don't eat. And when you are hungry and you're eating, slow down. And that can be done regardless of what you're doing. You don't have to be doing intermittent fasting to just employ the slow down method. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is implying or uh, focusing on what we call mindful eating. And right. that is a cornerstone of the, of the Wonder Program, which I love because that's really addressing you know, our relationship with food, uh, which many of us, I don't think, spend, sometimes forget to to uh, nurture that relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Elena, Absolutely. one thing that the, what I was taught was, you know, food in addition to being nourishment, it's yummy. And you, <laughs> yeah. if you, you know, take tiny bites, savor it, stretch out your uh, enjoyment of it, you know, hold it in your mouth, smell it, 
try interesting foods, try different spices and flavors so that you do feel satisfied and you have enjoyed your meal. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned and so did Josie about really that savor and that slowing down. You know, the when we talk about mindful eating, there's a, an acronym of basics. And one of the S's is, is slow down, um, it's slow down and savor. And that is so hard for us to do um, just based on how, you know, our busy life, but it really makes a difference. And I don't know if you noticed this as you were learning that skill, because it really is a skill, right, to learn to slow down and really taste what you're eating. But when you're able to do that and really taste your food, you may be surprised that there are some foods you thought you really liked that you don't or vice versa. And for me, I I joke about this with clients, but it's like, you know, with an Oreo, an Oreo is one of those things that I've always, I've always loved an Oreo. And then I, you know, tried some of the mindful eating exercises and really spent time paying attention and taking time eating an Oreo. And it turns out it really wasn't as good as I thought it was, Um, you know, when you're really start tasting and paying attention to that. Now, I'll, I'll get off that. Uh, I could get on a tangent about that forever, <laughs> Josie, so I'll shush. But Well, you know, it's really about portion. That helps with portion control, right? So you still like Oreos, but maybe you don't need four to five of them oh, right? absolutely. to get that same satisfaction. After, right. after two, you know, you're kind yeah. of you're done. Yeah. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell. Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. And joining me in the studio today, I have Dr. Elena Dent. She's a registered dietitian and also faculty in the Department of Preventive Medicine. And we're talking intermittent fasting today. So if you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Or you can email us anytime, fit at mpbonline.org. And we do have a caller on the line, so we're going to say good morning and hello to David from Pilahatchee. Hello. Hello. How can we help you? I just wanted to comment on intermittent fasting. Uh, Mm -hmm. 
we added, my wife and I added intermittent fasting to our diet. We actually lost most of the weight, frankly, doing zero carb and low carb, but we added the intermittent fasting when we went to low carb so we could have an excuse to eat some bread occasionally and baked potatoes. But mm-hmm. both of those things have been very effective. And honestly, I suppose it's female physiology, but it worked a whole lot better for me than it did for my wife. <laughs> it's I, I, I hate to tell the ladies that, but I've heard that from <laughs> a lot of other people who've done the same thing. It doesn't seem to work quite as well for women. Yeah, it sometimes it does seem like start. it's a little bit. Yeah. So how long have you been doing it? Oh, gosh, four or five years. Wonderful. Yeah, I, okay. I, I went I went into, I was going to have to have knee surgery, and my doctor, who was a real straight shooter, said, hey, why don't you lose 40 pounds? You're fat. Yeah. Uh, and your knee oh. get better. <laughs> and it did. Yeah. You know, so, we work, Elena and I work with a lot of folks with that need joint replacements, trying to help them lose some weight beforehand, because it just does really kind of impact how well you do after the knee replacement, you know, when, when you have better blood sugar control and, you know, better weight and those kinds of things. Um, so I'm so glad that it worked for you, that you've tried it, that you've been able to, you know, incorporate it into your daily lifestyle and it's sustainable for you. So that is wonderful. And my, one of the reasons my wife likes it so much is she really only cooks one meal a day now, mm-hmm. and, you know, with a little snack at two and then have whatever you want for supper. Uh, right. It really I just tell everybody to try, you know, they ought to try. Wonderful. All right. Thanks so much for giving us a call today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. And we will continue on um, to Biloxi and say good morning to Nicole. How can we help you? Oh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I wanted to know for um, pregnant patients who have to gain weight but need to do it kind of moderately um Mm -hmm. pregnant patients often like are very hungry but we also like need to control how much weight we gain during the pregnancy are there any like tips for controlling the the hunger and um i guess like cravings but also like kind of maintaining a healthy weight during the pregnancy that's an excellent question, and I'm going to loop in Elena for that. In, now, I kind of separate that a little bit from intermittent fasting because, in general, I do not recommend intermittent fasting for people who are pregnant or breastfeeding. What about you, Elena? Yes, I would I would definitely agree with that. So inter- there are a group of patients that intermittent fasting is not appropriate for, and pregnancy would be one of those. Um, but you bring up a really good question about, um, you know, trying to maintain a healthy weight gain and not in excess, but I... I do encourage uh, everyone to remember that you are growing a human, so it's you're you know you're <laughs> going to be hungry, and that that's okay. That's great. We want you to eat. Um, in pregnancy, I usually tell people to really, you know, focus on looking at food as the fuel that is helping, you know, you provide the nutrients that your baby needs to grow. Um, and when it comes to cravings, you know, everyone is different during pregnancy and may have some very specific cravings. Um, but if, if it's possible to honor those cravings, right, with the mindset of that portion control that Josie mentioned earlier, um, I think that's, you know, definitely appropriate. So, you know, you may, I, I don't know if you have any specific um, cravings, but I, I typically tell patients, whether you're pregnant or not, 
you know, don't try to ignore a craving because usually that craving will just get stronger, right? Um, but And during pregnancy, you may find that when you start eating, you're not able to, you know, you may get full fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. You just may find that you're hungry more often, and that's also appropriate. Um, but as long as you're, you know, looking at food, food as a fuel, and we know that things, you know, trying to avoid sugar-sweetened beverages and trying to eat as healthy as possible while at the same time, you know, being realistic and honoring those cravings that you get within reason, I think is, is fine. Um, is there a specific food or food group that you're concerned about? or? Oh, uh, no, ma'am, just in general. Yeah, so in general, you know, we know just when you're pregnant or not, we all need to make sure that we're getting a variety of food from, you know, fruits and vegetables. Um, and also we want to get whole grains and, and lean protein sources. So that's no different. Uh, when you're pregnant, right? We want to make sure that you're getting that good variety and not filling up on junk. Um, That's a lot easier said than done, though. (laughs) And we do find that sometimes when we're pregnant, it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, I'm pregnant. Some people take that as a time to just eat whatever and just remind yourself that it's really what you're providing your body um, is to try to get the best nutrients for your baby for optimal growth and development. And basic healthy eating guidelines is a is a great way to do that. Yeah, and you know, I would recommend kind of talking to your OB about mm-hmm. what what the adequate weight gain is for you because it's going to be different, kind of depending on what your starting weight is, right? We want some. There's some different guidelines for folks who are kind of underweight and how much weight they need to gain during pregnancy versus those who are a a normal weight or, you know, a quote unquote above normal weight um, kind of calorie goal. In general, um, usually somewhere between 300, 350 calories or so in that second trimester is kind of the extra calorie that we want on top of what you normally have. And then in the, the third trimester, it kind of bumps up to around 450 to 500 calories. And then if you're breastfeeding, it kind of hangs out around that as well. And so when you think about um, that amount of calories, somewhere between 300 and 500, that's not a ton of extra food, right? So you could add that in by having, you know, a Greek yogurt with some nuts and fruit, Right. And that would would get you to that kind of 300 calories there. But I want to kind of harken back to what Elena talked about with cravings. Like if you're craving a chocolate chip cookie, right, all the fruit in the world is probably not going to make you stop craving that cookie. Right. So I don't think of those things as an either or type of situation. So if you really, really want a cookie, then choose one cookie. Right. And not like the cookies that are the size of a of a pothole cover, um, but, you know, a a modest size cookie and then add some fruit to it as well. That way you get what you're craving and slow down and enjoy it. But you fill up on some other things, because remember, there's nutrients that uh, pregnant women really need to focus on fiber is one of them um, because constipation is real in pregnancy from a variety of reasons. It can be the prenatal vitamins or extra iron that you're on. Um, And then lots of vitamins and minerals, folate in particular. And, you know, we get those um, through different, uh, different foods and you get iron through different foods as well. So best place to start is talking with your OB about what they would like to see for you in terms of weight gain and then figuring out how to add some of these, um, 
healthy foods in with some of the things that you're craving to balance it out a little bit there. All right. Best of luck, Nicole. Thank you so much for giving us a call. And we'll move on to Scott from Jackson. How can we help you, Scott? Yeah. What is a good diet for a person to have, I guess, borderline blood pressure issues? I think you, you cut out just a little bit. Uh, did you ask what's kind of the best diet for, like, borderline high blood pressure? Yes. Wonderful. Um, I, I, so my personal view on nutrition, and I think Dr. Dent has the same, is that um, the perfect diet for blood pressure is also going to be the perfect diet for diabetes and weight loss and all those kinds of things. And most importantly, it's the one that you can afford that you'll do and that you'll stick with. But I'll let Elena give you some more specifics there. Yeah, I would, I definitely agree with that, JC. Um, for people that, if you want a very specific diet or guidelines to go by, for blood pressure in particular, I would recommend the DASH diet, which is the dietary approaches to stopping hypertension. Um, it really emphasizes or focuses on not just cutting down salt, right? Most of us associate salt with blood pressure, and it focuses on really adding additional um, nutrients and uh, vitamins and minerals. So um, increasing your potassium intake is a cornerstone of that diet, which has um, which is associated with a decrease in blood pressure. So if you were to just, you know, uh, Scott, get on Google and, uh, search DASH diet, you'll find a mm-hmm. ton of good information. The NIH, um, that'll be one of the first things that pops up, has a huge library of free resources, so meal plans, a, a week-by-week guide um, for that diet. And it, it, like I said, it emphasizes kind of cutting back salt, but also lean protein, increasing your potassium intake through fruits and vegetables and whole grains. So I definitely think that's a, a good go-to. But just like Josie said, um, it's all about figuring out what um, what out of that works for you and what you're willing, really, really willing to eat. But that, I think, is a great place to start. Okay, thank you. And I, thank you. Absolutely. And, you know, if anybody's listening out there, they want more information about the DAS diet, just like um, Elena mentioned, you can you can Google that. Or you can always email us, fit at mpbonline.org, and I'm happy to um, send you out some of my favorite handouts that I use for the DASH diet. At the basis of the DASH diet, it is focusing on more whole foods, less processed things, and more fruits and veggies and whole grains. So essentially a plant-predominant or plant-based diet, but that does not include the elimination of all animal products. You can if you want, but it doesn't have to, but it is a good place to start just like Elena mentioned, reducing sodium and increasing potassium um, are a strategy for helping to lower um, lower blood pressure. Um, and that usually comes by pulling back on processed foods and increasing things like fruits and veggies that are full of, um, full of potassium there. Of course, always speak with your healthcare provider before you adopt any dietary change to make sure you don't have any limitations or things that you need to avoid um, on a particular diet, especially if you're on different types of medications. Um, in particular, things like um, warfarin or Coumadin may require some adjustments or um, if you're on cholesterol medicine, there are some adjustments or some foods that are food like grapefruit juice and things like that that you would need to avoid. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. 
If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio, and I'm Josie Bidwell. Joining me today is Dr. Elena Dent, and we are talking about intermittent fasting today. If you have a question or a comment, our number is 877-MPB-RING. And we do have a caller that has been patiently hanging on for us. We'll go to Sue uh, from Beaumont. Good morning. How can we help you? Good morning. I'd like to ask you a question about vitamin C. I know that vitamin C is very important. I, I just read this book two years before the mask, before the mask by William Henry Dana about a sailor who was on one of those old sailing ships, mm-hmm. and uh, all they had was hard tack, which was these hard pack. They were just little hard dry crackers with unleavened flour, you know. Mm-hmm. And they they had they had no fruits and vegetables aboard ship, and um, then when the first Europeans saw the uh, the the Eskimos. I mean, they didn't have access to fruits and vegetables. So, how, how do how do people like that? How do they survive without any vitamin C? Great. So, well, they most of those people developed scurvy, which is a, a disease that is caused by vitamin D deficiency, uh, vitamin C deficiency. Sorry. Right. Um, and luckily, that is very rare um, in in the modern world. Uh, because most things are supplemented and have vitamins added to them. But I'll let Dr. Dent dig into the vitamin C a little bit more. Yeah, so, you know, your body is amazing. There are a lot of redundant uh, mechanisms that it has when you are deficient or low on on one thing or one vitamin or one mineral. We Our body is miraculous at finding ways to to continue make to keep our processes going. But just like... Um, uh, Josie said, the, you know, with vitamin C, you, you really, you have to have it, right? And that's why you did see such a development of scurvy with sailors, you know, long, long, long ago, but not something we see very often at all these days, thank goodness. Um, um, so you know, vitamin C the, is just, the, the, the English Navy saw, they finally figured out what was the matter, and from then on they stopped to like lemons or limes aboard. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's how that got stopped aboard ship. Yep. Well, I'm wondering about the Eskimos without access to vitamin C and fresh fruits and vegetables. How did they ever survive without vitamin C? Yeah. Oh, I missed that part. I'm sorry. I I missed that too. Um, So (laughs) uh, the Eskimos, you know, you can, vitamin C you get in other places, not just from um, fruits and vegetables. So um, the Eskimos, you know, they have a diet that's really high in fish. Um, and so you actually are going to derive a little bit from that, and it doesn't take that much. Um, but Eskimos, even though they didn't have access um, 
you know, to a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables, they still had access um, to some fresh items that are going to contain trace amounts of vitamin C. So that's a that's a really um, that was a fun question. I haven't haven't had to think about that in a while. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Sue. All right, guys. And if you're listening and you have a question or a comment, you can give us a call or send us an email. Um, And we actually did have a question that came in um, in relationship to the grapefruit I mentioned before and kind of what is going on with that. And statin medications. um, So that's uh, the medications that a lot of people take for cholesterol, things like Lipitor, Crestor, Pravastatin, those types of medications. Um, can interact, well, grapefruit interacts with them and in particular keeps you from being able to kind of break down that compound. And so it can make you have too high of a level of some of those medications in your, um, in your system. So uh, there are some medications, some forms of statin that it affects more than others. Um, Lipitor um, and like Lovastatin, uh, Zocor, those tend to be affected by it a little bit more than say your Crestor and your Pravacol. Um, and it also is like dose dependent, right? Like the more grapefruit that you have, the more likely to kind of have a problem with it. Um, so, you know, in general, I usually have people kind of um, abstain from, from grapefruit um, if they're on a statin. But think about in terms of how much you're ingesting, right? If you had like a half a grapefruit, that's way less grapefruit than if you had a glass of grapefruit juice, right? Because you have to juice multiple fruits to get the grapefruit. So if you're a grapefruit lover and you're on a statin, you probably want to talk with your um, healthcare provider about whether we need to change statins, we need to decrease the amount of grapefruit that you're using or, or you know, some strategy there to, to kind of help you out. All right. Um, we talked about um, kind of the, the evidence behind intermittent fasting. And when we do look at kind of head-to-head results of things, right? You know, uh, trials of intermittent fasting versus just other calorie restriction diets. In terms of weight loss, they're pretty comparable, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, they are. And so yeah. I get that all the time from people. They're like, well, you know, is one better than the other? And if we're just looking at weight loss, probably not, right? And just like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, everybody is... Um, different and what will ultimately work for them. And so if you find it really, really hard to kind of build in calorie restriction in a normal, um, you know, just a normal, not time restricted eating platform, then intermittent fasting may be um, a strategy that could, could work for you there. But we have to look at, or the way I like to look at things is not just as weight loss from uh, as your kind of only marker of whether this is good for you, right? We look at, does it improve blood pressure? Does it improve blood sugar? Um, you know, what about uh, triglyceride levels? And um, some really kind of cool emerging research about the effect of intermittent fasting on um, like neurological functioning and prevention of kind of neurodegenerative type diseases, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, intermittent fasting when patients ask, well, what, what is the best for from a weight loss standpoint, which is, which is just one marker. I do like to remind people that whether you're doing just a calorie restriction or intermittent fasting or some variation, most people can lose, you know, anywhere from 3 to 7% of body weight, an average of like 7 to 10 or 11 pounds over the course of two to three months which is right on track with what you mentioned earlier, Josie, with about one pound a week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always tell people whatever works, um, whatever seems to be easiest for 
I say is, you know, would be best. But just like you said, there are, there's some exciting data that's coming out that's showing that there may be some um, other potential benefits when we get into the different types of intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding um, beyond just weight loss. Right. And, you know, we had a caller earlier who was pregnant, and we talked about that being kind of one of the kind of categories of folks that probably wouldn't recommend intermittent fasting for. Or is there another group of folks that we kind of would want to maybe counsel away from that or not be our first choice? Sure. Um, you know, if you are someone, um, you know, diabetes, for example, intermittent fasting can be helpful with diabetes if your goal, you know, is to lose weight. Um, however, we want to be mindful if you are taking um, insulin or certain oral secretagogues or oral medications that um, can impact your risk for low blood sugar. I definitely say there's a precaution there, so talk with your provider before getting started. Also, if you are someone that has a history of an eating disorder or an unhealthy, you know, relationship uh, with food, um, I would definitely take a pause before jumping on the on this train. And then also, if you're in an active growth stage, so if you're an adolescent, you know, a, a child, I would not recommend intermittent fasting um, for them. And then kind of the last group I would um, consider would be if you are taking a medication that requires food and, you know, for you to eat food when you take it, just be mindful of that as you're setting up or figuring out what intermittent fasting looks like for you. If you know that, okay, well, every morning I've got to take, you know, medicines and I have to drink or eat something with them, um, that could impact the pattern that you follow. I'm Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell. Joining me today, I have Elena Dent, and we've been talking about nutrition and intermittent fasting today. And we do have a couple of callers on the line, so I want to get over to them, get them in before the end of our show. First, we'll go to Mobile and say, good morning, Mikey. How can we help you? Oh, thank you again. Um, uh, Sue always piques my brain somehow, <laughs> you know. Me too, I mean, sometimes. She gets me good sometimes. And peaks it. Yes, um, and and her question regarding um, uh, well, Anui Eskimo, Inuit, yeah. anybody, yeah, yeah, anybody that that lives in those sorts of because I'm here in Mobile, it's about to be ninety degrees right here. I've been sweating yeah. in the garden. Okay, so um, it, it's more of much more of a tropical sort of a thing where there are much more vitamin C heavy 
uh, and as well as the natural vitamin D from the sun. My question is a follow-up to some of what she was asking. Is the um, is it possible that those people uh, get their uh, their vitamin C to sustain them through the parts of the year that I can't imagine that. Uh, hey, I'm a cold weather sissy. I can't imagine. Um, uh, but that they, they get it from seaweed, at least yes. in part. Yeah, that is some of it. And, yeah. and the other thing is that the, the pictures that I've seen of the gardens that grow up there, man, they don't have much of a gardening season. But when they grow a cabbage, it's like the side of a little Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> a big old cabbage. Yeah, yeah, that is that is some of it. You can get some from you know like um, sea plants that you can have there. But I did a little little digging over the break just to kind of see, and so they they don't actually get the same level of vitamin C that that we get, um, which kind of recommended vitamin C intakes are about sixty milligrams a day. Um, they get about half that, and so it's kind of just enough to prevent terrible health from vitamin C. And it if you look up vitamin C content of meat and things like that, you're, it's going to say zero. But consuming a, a diet that is almost essentially all those animal products there, there's little tiny bits of vitamin C, which Dr. Dent kind of alluded to earlier, that kind of add up to kind of give them that, that um, kind of bottom of the threshold level of vitamin C kind of needed for, for functioning. Maybe some little sea animals that are, I mean. Yeah, so I, land I, and sea I, animals, the combination. I'm just a yeah. simple country girl. <laughs> oh, no, you're doing wonderful. And y'all are asking great <laughs> questions today. Thank, Thank you. you for giving us a call. Absolutely. Have a good rest of your day. All right. And we will go over to Madison and talk with John. How can we help you? Hey, Josie, I may have missed the first, I missed the first part of the show. So if uh, sure. you've already covered it past, but, um, how do you handle intermittent fasting and uh, exercise, both both cardio and weight training? I don't think I would want to try to run, you know, three miles after I've been fasting for five exactly. hours. How, how does that work? How does that work? Absolutely. Well, you know, just like anything, you can find find opinions either way on that. And there are, you know, a certain uh, kind of subset of folks that like to do fasting exercise. They feel like it gives them a, a greater burn. I am usually not of that um, uh, mindset either for a variety of reasons. But one is uh, exercise performance is often impacted by how much, you know, kind of quick energy that you have on board there. Elena, what um, what are your recommendations for exercise with energy? intermittent fasting. I would, I would agree um, with what you said. I, my first, my first thought would be if you feel like you have the energy and it's appropriate, right. And you're not at risk for low blood sugar and you're not dehydrated. You know, there is a camp of folks that can get in that we could have a whole discussion about metabolic switching and the potential benefits right. of that. Um, but if we think about particularly when you're doing cardio and having to rely on tapping on in on your reserve for stored um, glucose, right, um, to provide that energy, that can be a challenge. So, you know, if, I know this is frustrating to hear, but everybody is different. And I mm -hmm. tell people, you know, try to use, tap, you've got a lot of good common sense, right? And if you've been fasting for five plus hours and you think it's time to go run for six miles and that's not something you typically do, it's probably um, 
we probably want to take some safety precautions there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we didn't really dig into it as much as I had hoped at the beginning of the show, but kind of the, the science behind intermittent fasting, right, is that you do start to, like, once you have kind of abstained from food for a certain period of time, you do start to break down some of your stores um, of, of glycogen and, and go through through that and you start to burn fat. And, and that's why it is helpful with weight loss and improving some of these other metabolic profiles. But if you're going to go do something that requires glucose, which exercise does, and you've moved through, you know, what you have eaten, and now you've moved through burning through the stores of things, then you're not going to have as much energy, so to speak, to, to burn in your, your exercise. So just like Elena mentioned, there's going to be, you know, a camp of folks who do try to harness this kind of metabolic switching that you were talking about and those kinds of things. But for the vast majority of folks, um, I would, would not usually recommend exercising during that fast or, um, you know, coming right off of, of that fast there. Um, and you got to think, especially if you're resistance training, right? Once you, when you do resistance training and you are using weight bearing exercise, there's kind of like little microscopic tears in the muscle that happen. And then as those repair, the muscle gets bigger and stronger. But if we don't give it the building blocks that it needs to repair itself, um, you're not going to get as much kind of bang for your buck, so to speak, with those resistance exercises as well. Um, which just in the last couple of minutes of the show, I want us to talk about, you know, if you're going to get started on intermittent fasting, like what, you know, what are the recommendations? We talked about there's several kinds. There's, you know, kind of um, the 5-2, which is eating a, a relatively well-balanced diet five days of the week. And then on those other two days, um, a pretty significant calorie restriction, usually only about five to 600 calories on that day. Uh, and then there's the much more popular one that I see, which is 16-8, which is eight hours of eating and 16 hours of fasting. But when that happens, is variable. So if someone was listening and they wanted to start like a 16-8, uh, first, talk to your doctor, your nurse practitioner, physician assistant um, before doing that. But what? how would you start, Elena? Yeah, um, that I like the idea. I usually would say let's kind of start low and slow, right? Mm -hmm. So let's look at what's your typical eating pattern and de determine what that is now. So do you find that you're normally eating beyond 12 hours out of the day? Let's make an adjustment from there. So 16-8 may be perfectly appropriate. But my first step would be ask yourself, what is my typical eating pattern? How many hours am I normally eating? And then take a small adjustment from there. So if you normally eat 14 hours out of the day, um, maybe start with, okay, I'm going to try to do eat within 12 hours of the day or maybe 10 and, you know, kind of progress that way, especially if you are someone that has, you know, several chronic health conditions. And just like you mentioned, talk with your provider, but I would get started in a very uh, ease yourself into the process. Yeah. And, you know, when you pick your hours that, that you're going to do, you know, if you go online and you Google it and you Google a 16-8, it's going to tell you 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. is kind of the, the feeding window that they want. But think about your life, right? Like for me, a lot of days I don't even walk in my door till 6 p.m. Right. You know, yeah. after I get the kids and we get, you know, get all of their extracurriculars and everything we get home from work and we get get in the house it's already six o'clock and so if I had put this kind of rigid hard 
stance of I'm going to not eat after six and I would miss that meal. And ultimately that's not how we want to build intermittent fasting. So make it fit with your life. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. What is Chalkboard Chat? It's an MPB education podcast. It's a variety show providing information and resources for teachers, students, parents, guardians, and everyday people on various topics. It's learning something new with every publication. Chalkboard Chat. Find the podcast or listen from chalkboardchat.mpbonline.org.